Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Style That Finds Us podcast. We are excited to have Chase Poland, founder and lead alchemist of Kipris, on our podcast. Kipris is a luxurious line of holistic, high-performance skincare featuring organic and sustainably grown botanicals blended with the best of green biotechnology for gorgeous skin. (laughs) Kivris products merge beauty and science and they are made in the USA. Thank you for being here. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. We're excited. I'm excited. We are super excited. So tell us about Kipris and the name of the brand, the the connection to Aphrodite, who we adore as well. Okay. Um, So Kipris actually turns 10 in May. So yeah, (laughs) we celebrate a big birthday really soon. Um, So, you know, Kipris was founded almost 10 years ago. And as I'm sure you can imagine, there's a lot of legwork prior to starting a company of any kind. So I've been thinking about skincare for a really long time. And as I was pondering what Kippers would be, you know, I was, I looked at the market and I saw that on the one hand, there were these really elegant, for the most part, effective, very science forward brands, but they were filled with things that I didn't want on my skin and certainly not on the skin of someone I loved. And if you were, you know, goddess forbid, you know, managing an autoimmune condition or had skin sensitivities or God forbid, navigating cancer or any host of things, pregnant, nursing, trying to get pregnant. I mean, so many different stages of life that are so common. There are certain ingredients in some of those formulas you really just need to avoid for so many different reasons. So I was thinking about that because, you know, you don't want to throw the baby out with the proverbial bathwater. <laughs> you know, there's, there is something positive about those formulas. And then I was thinking about, well, what's the alternative to those? The alternative to those formulas were these very beautiful, smelled beautiful, felt beautiful, but very craft, maybe didn't wear as elegantly and definitely were not as effective, you know, very natural skincare mm-hmm. brands. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking, well, what if, you know, half my family is from New York and half my family is from West Virginia. So I think that I come by this very honestly. And, you know, many people in my family in West Virginia are farmers. And so I think about things a lot from the perspective of someone who spent a lot of time on farms growing up. And I thought, well, you know, when it comes to sourcing botanicals, you want to think about, you know, how is the land taken care of? Is it, you know, downstream from a toxic waste dump or is it in an area that is well taken care of, well managed and, you know, you're you're dealing with healthy land and soil? Sometimes you can get really granular like that and sometimes you can't. And in the instances where you can't, you have to look at what science is available to you to, you know, mitigate any concerns you might have. So what if we took the standards where we're thinking about how is it grown? How is the ingredient processed, right? Because you're not taking like quinoa, for example, that's been just harvested and putting that on your face. No, the quinoa seed has to be pressed and it has to be filtered. And that's the quinoa seed oil that we use. So there's a process, there are processes to creating these ingredients. There's pressing and extracting and whatnot. So what happens if you take these really stringent natural standards and you apply it to science where you're taking, you know, peptides, um, plant stem cells, um, different types of antioxidants and how those are created. And you're saying, okay, they don't come from anything questionable, AKA petrochemicals. They're not come, they are not processed with anything questionable, AKA petrochemicals, um, or, you know, they're not coming from genetically modified feedstock, Um, And the end result is a very pure material. So in many cases, we're working with materials that have been synthesized. We're working with materials that are, you know, bioidentical from broken cell yeast technologies, which is like a very fancy way of saying engineered yeast. 
Um, so there's a lot of different opportunities where science can create these really beautiful actives in a very clean and sustainable way um, that give you these really repeatable, reliable results, um, but don't have any of these sort of questionable ingredients in the mix. And then you can blend that with these beautiful, raw, sustainably sourced botanicals, and that is foundationally what Kipris is. That's how we make our products. And then we take it another step forward and we go, we make sure that everything is toxicologically assessed, you know, clinically tested for irritancy and allergenicity. We really believe that the formulas are effective because they are gentle. We really believe in gentle yet effective skincare. Um, I think a lot of the times people think that skincare has to be painful in order for it to be strong or potent. And that just is not the case. That's interesting because yeah. you're right. I do think it needs to be, you know, really intense, right? It, yes, but intensity, I mean, you can have a 12 ply cashmere sweater or you can wear, you know, crunchy technical gear. I mean, I think that there are just different approaches to getting from A to B. I think that when it comes to skincare, your skin can be very, your skin is a, is, is a very effective organ. It's your largest organ. It's very good at keeping things out of it. You know, uh -huh. it's a, a barrier. That's its job. Um, but the tricky part of skin is your skin is a lipid bilayer. You know, you have your stratum corneum, which is like this outermost layer of your skin that has this sort of brick and mortar uh, type lattice work of dead skin cells that have to consistently slough off. Uh -huh. So there's a balance between, you know, going DEFCON exfoliator on it versus right. gently exfoliating it. So your skin isn't overwhelmed by the process. That's a big part of it. And, and the connection to Aphrodite is really dear to me. So the original Aphrodite is actually named Kipris and Kipris was, she was actually worshiped before she had a name. She's an energy. She's an idea. She's what animates love and flowers. And had you been a devotee of hers, you would have prayed to her for a happy marriage and healthy children and a successful crop success at war. She's very integrated and the people who loved her, they named her after their shared home. So she is a Cypriot fertility goddess who was co-opted by the Greeks to become Aphrodite and arguably Aphrodite and Demeter. What's beautiful to me about Kypris, you know, if you can think of Cyprus and where it is in the Mediterranean, like, first of all, her, her lineage is very heavily influenced by a number of places. Shakti, who is a beautiful goddess that originates in East India. Um, we also have Ishtar and Astarte, who went their way over to Cyprus via the Middle East. Isis, the goddess, not the terrorist group. Um, <laughs> Isis is this extraordinary Egyptian goddess who she was so seductive and so luscious and powerful. She could raise her lover from the dead to have children. Kipris has this very mystical, but it's sort of like the mystery of life, the animating force of falling in love and creation and fertility and that exuberance of being um, that was co-opted by the Greeks. And, and that's how Aphrodite kind of arose out of it. Also, Kypris was technically born from the ocean and she has this whole alchemical journey where she goes to the baths of Paphos. So if you go to Paphos in Cyprus, there's actually a temple to her honor there. So yeah, Aphrodite, the, the goddess of love and beauty. So she gets her, her roots from this entity who war never conquered her. If you think about like most gods and goddesses, they are so often conquered by invading forces and those invading forces end up, you know, if they're successful in their, um, what is the word I'm looking for? If they're, if they're successful in their pillaging, they'll rename people and places. They will retell stories. They'll move holidays around. That's part of how they conquer a culture and population. And, you know, what's so beautiful to me about Kypris is unlike Aphrodite, you know, where the Greeks were conquered by the Romans, Aphrodite became Venus, Demeter became Ceres. 
our modern understanding of who Kipris is, is still very similar to how she was understood so many generations ago, because war never conquered her. Mm-hmm. She, and, and I think that's such a beautiful story about the divine feminine, you know, because I think in too many cases in, especially in the West, I'm, I'm not as familiar with this dynamic in most other places, though I can surmise how it would go. Um, I think in too many instances in the West, we are not always as reverent to the divine feminine as we really should be. I mean, we all come from a mother. We all are born, you know, this is a very common experience. And yet in too many instances, you know, women are treated as less than, I mean, there's not a country in the world where women have equal rights to men. And it's just wild to me that that is still true in 2021. So I think the story of Kipris is one that's really precious because it really, it really shows that like, good luck trying to conquer the feminine because you all are all born and that is not going to work in your favor. And I feel like I read, there's like one tribe in Africa where the women were the boss, you know, they were warrior leaders. And I can't remember much more about it, but that's, I mean, there's one in the world. Well, there's definitely a lot of examples of matriarchal societies, but those are not necessarily places that we would want to live either. You know, I I think, I think that the goal is to have equality and mutual respect for our differences, understanding that our differences are what make us stronger and that are not problematic. That would be such an unusual way to live is, is really disheartening, but who knows what will happen in the, in the future, right? I mean, I have full faith in humanity to do the right thing this way. So, and, and I don't think women are going anywhere anytime soon. And as long as we are around, that's we right, be, we will be pushing for this. We will. We're feeling stronger by the day. I think what led you to start your brand? Did we talk about that? Oh my goodness. I started Kipris from the perspective of an entrepreneur. You know, I really believe that conscious capitalism is one of the greatest forces to create the solutions that we need in the world, or I should say maybe implement the solutions that we need in the world. I think it's a lot easier to be an entrepreneur that sees an opportunity for serving people and make that happen sooner than maybe getting a government entity to do that because they're not necessarily motivated to do that. So I've been an entrepreneur since I was 21. I started my first company, which was an education company, and I ran it for 11 years. And from the success of that, I was able to start another company. And when I was really giving it a good think, I really wanted to do something in service to you know, the divine feminine, wellness, the environment, sustainability. I knew there was going to be an aspect of pleasure, but I really don't like how pleasure is so often sexualized. I think that, you know, I think that that's a company for someone else to start though. I I think that pleasure and, you know, sacred sovereignty and self-possession is so important. It's something I'm so passionate about. And so when I was, really thinking about it. And I've loved skincare forever, but when I was really learning about skincare and how it was made and how um, ingredients come to be, you know, I think a lot of the times people pick up skincare and they think, oh, it's just a product I'm going to put on my face. I, I, I think there's sometimes a little bit of a disconnect of like how that formula actually becomes that formula, like sure. even the ingredients, because I, what I think we so often don't realize is, you know, there are so many solutions out there, whether it's a scientific solution or an organizational solution, but it's not always implemented. And so I looked at, you know, when I was looking at skincare and how skincare was made, I kind of realized like, it's kind of like going to the grocery store. It's like, you can go to any grocery store, you can go to Walmart and Walmart's one of the largest purveyors of organic produce and goods, you can go to Walmart or Whole Foods and shop totally organically and essentially vote with your dollars for a better supply chain, you know, and and just by purchasing something that's organic, 
you can then create a better meal in the case of the groceries or in the case of skincare, you can source from places that are organic farms, women-owned farms. In some places, the agrarian exports are a significant portion of their GDP. And so by putting dollars in women farmers' pockets, you are supporting all kinds of things. I mean, women just don't, as on average, they just don't have a tendency to run around raping and pillaging. That's just not their vibe. (laughs) So like what, like what the UN women's project says is that, you know, when you empower women, you create all kinds of positive outcomes. You create healthier communities, you create greater stability in the region and yada, yada, yada. I don't mean to diss on the men at all. I just know that to varying degrees, there's such an opportunity for so many things to be improved simply by creating greater equality within a a community. And and in many instances that has to do with voting with your dollars and um, patronizing women farmers or patronizing um, farms that are biodynamic, you know, they're managing their soil in a really unique way and their soil is really rich. And the more that that becomes popularized, there's more attention given to how we take care of the soil and the nutrition of the soil. Um, Then there's, uh, you know, wild crafting groups. I mean, we work with wild crafters from as nearby as Southern Arizona to as far away as Madagascar. And, you know, it's a beautiful practice that really honors the place. And so I thought, oh, this is such an interesting opportunity to create kindness down a supply chain. And in kind, you know, there's this there's this idea that the means are the ends, right? If you want, if you want peace, then act peacefully. If you want a rose bush, plant a rose bush. <laughs> use rose, use rose seeds or clippings, I guess. Mm-hmm. If you want a redwood sequoia, plant a redwood sequoia. You're not going to start with lily bulbs or something. You're going to start with the thing itself. And I love that idea, you know, in in the realm of beauty because so often, you know the way skincare or even makeup is made is, oh, wouldn't it be cool if this made your skin look hydrated and it looked this way in a bottle and it smelled this way. It doesn't matter how we get that smell that way. It's Mm -hmm. just going to have this fragrance. And even if it's chock full of allergens and carcinogens, but it's at such a low concentration and it's considered a trade secret because it's a fragrance that's what's so often on the market. And so I thought that, you know, with Kipris, this was such a unique opportunity to really put into practice, you know, sourcing ethically, creating products that are really elegant and beautiful and delivering an item and an experience that is essentially free of so many concerns. Golly, absolutely. Now I'm thinking, you know, I want to check the ingredients on every. but that is so true it's like a lot of times on the bottle it's even named rose this or that or but then when you look at the ingredients most of the things you you can't pronounce and then maybe there's something about a little bit about mentioned about rose towards the towards the end or it's synthetic fragrance you know I went through this whole crisis within you know when I first started I went through this whole crisis of like Oh my gosh, there's like to make rose essential oil, it requires so much rose. Mm -hmm. Is that ethical? And then Mm -hmm. I realized that I was sourcing the place I was thinking I was going to, we do source a rose essential oil from is a woman owned farm in the Mm -hmm. Kazanlik Valley of Bulgaria. And it's biodynamically run. Her family held on to the farm through the fall of communism. And she worked with the UN to try to replant Afghani poppy fields because, you know, opium is such a big trade in certain parts of the world. And Afghanistan actually has really beautiful climate and soil for rose production. And roses are still, to my knowledge, the largest export of Bulgaria. The second largest is the AK-47 and other types of guns and weaponry. Oh, my God. I know. Well, and the third is textiles. So 
I went through this whole sort of like, well, if I go with a synthetic, then it's just crude oil that comes out of the ground and is manipulated in a lab and then put into a bottle. And then that's what goes on your skin, but there's so many issues with it. And so even though my U S American calculus was like, well, this probably wouldn't make sense to do in certain parts of the U S but maybe up in Oregon, it would maybe parts of Arizona, it would, it's not going to make sense to do everywhere. And so what I came to realize was, is that sustainability sourcing sustainably is incredibly nuanced and it's so rife with counterintuitive realities. Right. Um, and so we don't use anything, no synthetic fragrance at this time. And so we went with the rose essential oil and it's found throughout the line, but predominantly in our 1000 roses. And you're right. It's oftentimes fairy dusted in with a complement of fragrance. So our products are very authentic. That's amazing. I mean, it's so crazy to think that the rose, the scent that you smell in the product it started in Bulgaria. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? Yes. Well, and, and kind of even to make it more sort of quintessential Kipris, that product, that Thousand Roses product, where that rose essential oil comes from Bulgaria, it's also combined with this, with an ingredient called CoQ10. It's, a, it's an antioxidant. And this is actually made using a process that was developed at MIT. So, and it was commercialized by a Japanese company that has a, you know, a, a lab in Texas and they make this molecularly identical antioxidant to what your body creates. And topically it diminishes the appearance of sun overexposure. So that's what I mean. Like with Kipris, it's very, on the one hand, there are these really gorgeous botanicals that are grown all over the place. And then there are these really specific scientists that we work with that create these very specific actives that, you know, go on that, that do all these beautiful things. So it's really how, you know, science amplifies nature and how nature amplifies science. That's remarkable. That really is. Oh, thank you. There's a lot of people who helped me do it. I couldn't do it by myself. (laughs) Again. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So since you said you started your being an entrepreneur at 21, how did you learn to start, run, and grow a business? The SBA. Oh. I read all the business books and I haunted the local SBA office like a ghost. Wow. I mean, my dad was an entrepreneur and I also think necessity is the mother of invention. When I was in my early 20s, I was uncomfortable with the idea of bartending. I I was, I was, I think I'm a sort of shy person. I was just uncomfortable with the idea of bartending. I was, I was a good waitress in the sense that I could connect with people, but I was uncomfortable. I just, it was just a lot. It was sort of the Mm -hmm. the environment is so overwhelming. (laughs) horrible. (laughs) Um, And I was always a really good student and I Loved kids. I taught in a bunch of different programs when I was in college and I volunteered a lot of my time for test prep and for like GED prep and for, you know, calculus. And I I was a really good math student. Yeah. And I've, I've loved learning and I, I loved kids. And so my first business was an education company and I started out just tutoring, but it was just really clear that you know, these families needed a lot of help getting their kids to apply to college and get prepared for test prep and, Mm. um, and all of this. And I really believe that education is meant to be a foundation for pursuit of passion. It's especially today, but even back then 20, almost years ago, people oftentimes forgot that they were raising people rather than they're not raising a student. And I had, teams of people who are working for me. Um, I ended up hiring educators and like making sure that they were trained, but they were all more educated than I was. And we made sure they had the right materials. So I ended up having, you know, two teams of educators helping students prepare for the SATs and helping them create their applications, which is actually just a type of marketing. You know, you're really just trying to 
better articulate who someone is on paper and hopefully do it in a way that feels empowering and not traumatizing. So it came from a place of deep empathy, probably from my own experience growing up, but also really not wanting to like work in weird places while I was pursuing my creative interests. You know, I was a writer and an actor and I produced some short films and I directed some short films and I wanted to, you know, I was in all of these seminars and they really just didn't lend themselves to office jobs. So yeah, that was, I did that for 11 years and I I freaking loved it. I loved it so much, but I think at a certain point, what I realized was, is I wanted, ultimately, I just wanted to work on my own potential. You know, it felt, I think it's when you're working in education, I think you have to either be someone who really derives a lot of personal pleasure, you know, where you can see your sort of success and your students success mm-hmm. yeah. um, and the kids success. And I, I think for a really long time I did, but it got to a point where that it didn't feel that way anymore. It just, I think the season just completed, you know, I, that, that happens, yeah. you know, <laughs> moving Then I made the very obvious transition to beauty and, <laughs> um, you know, and I had, it, it wasn't completely random. It really wasn't. I had modeled and I had acted and, you know, I in many ways supported myself. And when I was much younger as, you know, doing some modeling. And so I really understand how skincare and product is used in different scenarios mm-hmm. on set under heavy lights and also in daily life. And it's always, it's funny to me because I think you would you would imagine that if something can hold up in a professional scenario, that it's going to be really great to use in daily life. And I, I didn't always find that to be the case because you had Mm -hmm. someone there typically minding you to make sure that, you know, everything looked okay. So, um, you don't have that in daily life. So the, the high performance aspect of what we do is super important because the goal is to have every person who uses Kipris products to really feel taken care of and that they have the care that they need so that they can go out and give themselves, their family, their community, their work, whatever it is, wherever they choose to give the gift of their life and time and energy and focus, you know, their full attention. I think it's easier to do when you feel like you're sorted, you know? Absolutely. So the high performance piece has always been very important to me. What are some of the top selling products? You know, it really depends on the context. It's that's been really fascinating. Like in a retail environment, our antioxidant dew, our 1000 roses, our moonlight catalyst, our deep forest clay, our um, ad astra all do really, really well in a spa environment. You're going to see, well, even puff of love does really well too. The line is not like most lines where you have like 20% significantly outperform the other 80% of the assortment. That's not really how the line is built. I wouldn't say it's in any way flat. We definitely have some leaders in the space, but the line collectively tends to do really well. Like the dis- the difference between our top selling skew and like number ten in the line is not right. is not as big as you would probably imagine. Right, right. That's great. It sounds sort of like if you need a product that has clay in it, you would choose that one. And if you were looking for something, you know, if you had a different skin issue, you would choose another product, maybe. Yeah, and actually going in and you know going into spring now. Ladies, we should be using SPF all the time, <laughs> but even in the winter, right. um, but in the spring months, our SPF and summer months like really flies. So that if That's you haven't great. tried our SPF yet, you need to. It's difficult too, because do you need to like reapply it halfway through the day? Um, I typically don't, if I'm being honest, I think- I'm one of those people though, that has to be bribed to wear SPF. I don't generally like wearing SPF and I know that's sacrilege in the land of beauty. 
Um, But I really enjoy this SPF. It has a very, it feels very light. It feels very hydrating. It's not going to leave you greasy. It's a beautiful primer. If you like wearing a little bit of makeup over your skin. So that's great. It can be a primer. Oh yes. It's an SPF 30 treatment primer. So it actually has these like it has plant stem cells, plant oils, has some beautiful antioxidants, some hyaluronic acid. It has our wow. wild crafted prickly pear, 20% zinc. Wow. And anyone can wear it. The palest of the pale to the darkest of the dark complexion can really wear this product and not have an issue with it. And it makes for a beautiful primer on skin. So like if you have a favorite color product, um, you know what, if you want to use like a small dollop of that over top your SPF, you have everything that you need. You, you've applied your serums and your beauty elixir. You may or may not have moisturized. Now you have your SPF on and you don't have to rely on your color products to be your SPF and your treatment. It's, you know, and you've applied your hyaluronic acid in the prime in the prime. Yes. Well, I would really more rely on the hyaluronic acid and like the antioxidant too, just because it's a smaller molecule gotcha. of it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really great. Cause I do use, you know, as you get older, you have a few more spots and things on your skin. So I definitely use a little bit of foundation. So I, I love the idea of the primer with the SPF and mm-hmm. these hydrating things. So that's brilliant. I must say. Well, thank you. (laughs) Talk to us about when it's time to create a new product. How do you decide what to add to the line and how do you formulate it? All of those things. Our customers tell us. (laughs) (laughs) We get requests. They're like, what about this? What about this? What about this? And so I I have a whole group of products that are in development. Our development process can take a very long time. Sometimes it takes years. I mean, I think some people hear that and they're like, are you an idiot? Like what's wrong with you? (laughs) Um, But what, you know, we have a lot of limitations on what we can and cannot use in the formula. So it's not like I can just use any ingredients in there. Like we're super careful about what we do and don't put into the formulas, you know, even, even crafting the right preservative system for the products is tricky. You know, like you cannot, um, every time you make a product, you have to create like your own little complex at the right pH with the right balance, you know, cause like for an, a beauty oil, like our beauty elixirs, which some people would call serums because they're so treatment forward. Um, somewhat you, you have to stabilize that one way. And like with the moisturizer that has water content, you're going to do it differently. But then you're going to do that differently from a serum because even though it also has water, it doesn't have waxes. <laughs> so like mm. you have to, you, you play around with all of those realities and it's, I oversee product development. I am not the chemist who, mm-hmm. you know, does the really heavy lifting. Um, right. I'm just, I'm the cheerleader of the bunch. <laughs> and you'll say, let's do this. And he'll say, well, you can't do it with that because it has wax in it or whatever. And then you're like, Oh, well, can we do it another way? Is that kind of the way it works? Um, so kind of, I mean, I went to formulators training, so I'm not completely useless, but it Uh would kind of be like, if you are baking cookies, you're going to make you, you know, that you're going to need butter and flour and Uh some vanilla and eggs. And well, if I want to make chocolate chip cookies, I'm probably also going to need chocolate chips, but do I want nuts in that? Okay, mm-hmm. but I need all of this to be organic. And I know I need those chocolate chips to be organic and fair trade. And mm-hmm. if if I'm going to even bother with like, you know, if I'm going to do white chocolate with macadamia mm-hmm. nuts, well, where are those macadamia nuts from? Are they from Hawaii or are they coming somewhere else? Is it an organic farm or biodynamic farm? Um, is, that, is the white chocolate made with uh, cocoa butter? Are there any weird preservatives in that? What was the processing mm-hmm. agent to make that white chocolate is there bleach involved because it is white chocolate Mm -hmm. and then like with the coke you know with with regular chocolate you might wonder you know is this coming from a good supplier because you can have a lot of issues with adulteration so what is what does that look like you know so there's so many different things to consider when you're putting together the product 
Right. But I really enjoy that process. That's great. I know you learn every time too. Yes. It feels like you're, you get to learn a lot and you also kind of get to know some things and then get to have those things Mm -hmm. challenged. Right. And I know it's rewarding to work with, you know, find out, oh, well, that's a woman, a woman run farm or, you know, things that, that all kind of come together to make this amazing, very unique product. Farmers are so extraordinary. In so many instances, the really good farmers really are keepers of the earth in so many ways. And I just, I wish more people appreciated Mm -hmm. what they do for us and the farm workers too. Right. I mean, that is really tough work. And I, you know, and I struggle with it because I physically do not have the constitution to do most of it. Right. Farmers are really amazing. They're just relying on the earth and the weather. And, you know, that's, that's just some things you just can't control. So it's, it's very commendable. Interesting that you brought that up because we even have ingredients in the line. So in like the antioxidant dew, the cerulean mask, and in the clearing serum, we have a cherry blossom extract that was created by these French bitter cherry farmers that kept losing crops to climate events. And so they were trying to figure out how they could monetize their crops before the tricky weather comes in the late spring and summer. Mm-hmm. And so they, I don't even know how they came up with this, but you know, usually when you extract a botanical, it's like, okay, here's a good example. So you know how when you're making chamomile tea, you're, you're, ma- you're essentially making a water extraction of chamomile flowers. That's what chamomile tea is. If you get, um, or you can get oil out of chamomile flowers, the chamomile essential oil usually happens, yes, by steam distillation, but that resulting ingredient is actually a non-polar oil. What these farmers did was instead of only extracting the water phase or the oil phase of these flowers. And if this is too technical, just shut me up. (laughs) This is like the stuff that I love. They, this, they were able to create this broad extraction of this flower. So you get this like full, instead of it just being like one segment of it, you get all of the good phytonutrients from this flower and it really hydrates the skin. And it really shows this beautiful hydration, especially in the face of the sun. So it's like another way of caring for skin that's in sun. It's not an SPF just to be really clear, but it's a great complement to SPF. And you helped, I mean, and, and the farmers found a way to monetize. To their crops. Yep. Right. Awesome. Keep on chugging. <laughs> that's wonderful. Wonderful. How do you define beauty? Beauty is so many things. Beauty is foundationally an experience of yourself in the world. An experience of yourself in the world. Beauty is an experience. Yeah. Beauty is a vital spiritual experience and it's really centered on love and care and pleasure and appreciation and a level of acceptance. I think it has to be a practice of discovery and it's something that we have to feel. You know, I think I would way rather feel beautiful than feel terrible and fit someone else's definition of what mm-hmm. beauty is or isn't. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a form of self-possession. It's like ecstatic self-possession. <laughs> right. Will you, for our listeners, give, give a, a d- description or whatever of self-possession? Like, what is it that you mean by that? I think it's, it is so important. Uh, oh, how do I answer this? Okay. I'm just going to say it. I am a feminist and what it means to be a feminist to me is very simple. It means I believe in equal rights, opportunity, and respect in the eyes of culture and the law period and stop. So anything outside of that may or may not be feminist. (laughs) So I just want to define that first. Mm -hmm. So For me, what I think is so important for anyone, men, women, and everyone in between, it's so important that 
we are taking care of who we are, that we are presenting ourselves in a way that feels good to us, that, you know, we are, of course, there are some limitations to that, right? Like if you are someone who loves just eating garlic and not wearing deodorant, (laughs) you want to show up a mess to someone's wedding, that would be really disrespectful to someone you probably care about. So there are limitations to the comments that I'm making, but I think that so often we tend to focus on, you know, what cultural expectations there may be, and they may or may not align with health and well-being. I really don't think that something can be a beauty practice if it is harmful to yourself or to the planet or someone else. I really don't think that beauty, if, if it is not inclusive, it's not beauty, it's something else. And if you think about beauty as being an experience of yourself and the world, it shifts the focus on your experience of yourself and your experience of the world rather than some other expectation of you, which may or may not be in health to pursue. Mm -hmm. So often it's not. And again, every good idea has its limitations. So I just want to be really clear that I'm aware of that. I think a lot of the times what we think of as beauty is actually glamour practices, which, which is glamour practices are really about erasing the humanity in a way. And that's not always a bad thing, right? You cast a glamour because you feel like you need help kind of getting from A to B. Everyone has had a moment in their life where they're like, I need a power outfit. I don't want to face these people in pajamas. (laughs) Like I need a power outfit. You could argue that that is a glamour. You're, you know, you're, you're making a Um, Yeah, you're making a decision with the help of sort of like high, you know, Cinderella didn't show up to the ball in, you know, her her drudgery clothes. She showed up looking like Cinderella, you know, with Mm -hmm. the help of a fairy godmother. And she cast this glamour and she had the time of her life. Glamour is not inherently bad. It's just I think it's hard. I think it's problematic when we try to live our lives 24 seven in glamour. Um, and that's why I think it's important to understand the difference between beauty and glamour and what you're pursuing mm-hmm. in a moment, because I think you can be beautiful and experience beauty in almost any condition, but, you know, glamour is a little bit more complicated. Right. So self-possession is similar to, or a form of self-love, like feeling that you are beautiful and taking care of yourself in a way because you are not letting other people possess you and tell you what to do. You are at choice. You are at choice. You are connected to yourself Yeah, and you are at choice. No one else is in control of you. That's wonderful. I think that's very important. And I think it's so interesting. And this is the same thing with what I do for a living. And Dee and I've talked about this a lot. When I first started working with women in their closets, I was all about just solving problems like you. Okay, she's got spots on her skin or she's got some wrinkles here. You know, that those those issues that are troubling you on the on the surface. And then when I watched the women start feeling beautiful again and feeling like they wanted to go out in the world and they could put on a piece maybe that made them, you know, feel stronger if they, you know, sort of like putting on armor. But the main thing is that it's, it's the inside bringing out, reminding someone of their beauty. That is, is the joy of my, what I do for a living. And I think what I'm hearing you say is through these products, you're helping women remember and, you know, continue the practice of self-possession. So well said. I, and, and I think too, about the freedom that women feel when they're wearing the right thing, you know, when you wear a shirt that fits well, or a pair of jeans that fit well, or I think that people oftentimes want to think of beauty and fashion as something frivolous, but I really think that that's sexist. I, I think that we cannot underestimate the power of feeling good in our bodies. And being right. respected for who we simply are. 
just like you said, it's like, whatever you put on your body, if you know, your skin is glowing, then you go out and live your life of substance. Yes, but you exactly. Have, you have taken care of your body and you're presenting it to people in you know, a way that you want them to, to know about you. Or you feel comfortable. Right. Yes. You feel confident. You feel comfortable. You feel good. You feel cared for. You feel, you right. don't feel empty. You don't. And, and I don't mean empty. Like I'm purposeless. I mean, like you've taken time to fill your yeah. cup and. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it's so hard for women. So hard for them to look in the mirror and go, Oh, I love you. You're so beautiful. You well, know? it's funny you say that because on most of our packages, we actually really recommend that people compliment themselves when they're applying their skincare. And I don't mean an affirmation and it's not something woo woo. It's actually a trick of neuroscience because when neurons fire together, they wire together. So if you have a visual feedback and a tactile feedback and an, you know, th this aromatherapy mm -hmm. that you're smelling and you're offering yourself an honest compliment soon, you're going to go into the mirror and stop picking yourself apart. And you're going to start looking for things that you love. Ah, love that. So that's a that's a little practice that I love, and yeah, and it helps. Important practice. Well, I don't know about you guys, you goddesses, but when I was younger, I just and I still have days like this, so I don't think anyone's immune to it. But it's it's just it can be hard, you know. You go through different yeah. things or different phases, or it's especially true when you go through things like whether it's just a challenging time or God forbid something challenging with your health, like right. it can just sometimes be hard to locate beauty in yourself. And, right. and it can feel transformative when you start to really, to know it's there, to trust that it's yeah. there and to feel it there. That's right. When I was in New York last week, finally, Diga said, I'm so tired of you talking about aging. I, now I, I, you, you just made me just dread it so much. And I thought, you know, that's terrible that I have been saying, oh no, my hair's turning gray. Oh no, I've got these wrinkles under my, you know, uh, now today this is happening to me. And I thought, my God, I can see I'm not losing my hair yet. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you can flip it around and it's great to have someone around you, like for me, it's Delia to, to sort of snap me out of that and look in the mirror and go, oh, but I do have this, this, and this. Thank you. You know, thank you. So, um, you know, sometimes I, I hear that. you. I mean, it can be both though, right? Like mm -hmm. it, it can, it can be challenging to be in, you know, to confront new faces of beauty. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. with it, it's like a graduation, you know, there's a, there is of course a celebration because you know, you're moving on to the next phase in your life, but there, there is also a loss, mm -hmm. you know? So I, yeah. I, I really don't mean to sugarcoat it in any way, but you're right. right. It's, it's not one or the other. It's both. Right. Exactly. So let's talk about how is your brand sustainable? And I, that is something that can be extremely overwhelming to people, <laughs> you know, we, so we wanted to make it as simple as possible. So that kind of like you were talking about before the, having the SPF in your primer, that is very easy for someone to go ahead and apply those at the same time. So question is, how is your brand sustainable? So at Kipris, we think of sustainability as both a social and ecological imperative. So sustainability and frankly, regenerative practices are what we strive for. So we are sustainable in a number of different ways. So in simple ways, it can be, um, or not so simple, <laughs> in simple ways, the farming, for example, is sustainable. Like how we're getting ingredients is sustainable. We organic, fair trade, wild crafted, biodynamically grown, um, the women-owned farms, the cooperatives. We have a lot of ingredients that are maybe wild harvested from the ocean and then propagated in a lab or some of our antioxidants have a much smaller footprint than you might expect because they are using biotechnology to create them. Whereas if we source them differently, we might have to harvest like a ton of salmon <laughs> in mm -hmm. 
and like squish their brains and get the antioxidant out of it. And that, you know, that's not how we do things. So um, how we source ingredients is definitely part of it. Um, we there and, and within that, you can see both the social and ecological element of that. So like the ecological being how is something farmed? Is it respectful of the environment when it's harvested? Plant stem cells is another great example of a sustainable material because it so few of those stem cells are collected from so few of the botanicals and then they're propagated in a lab. Um, most of the peptides that we use are synthesis reactions in a lab. So lots of that. Then from a social perspective, you know, the women-owned farms, the cooperatives, the fair trade operations, the UN Global Compact ingredients, and on and on and on. So that would be the ingredients and like the formulas in the bottle, bottles and jars, and that's how those are sustainable. The packaging is all glass with the exception of the closures. So um, the glass is recyclable. Um, it does not leach into the product or into the environment. One place there's an opportunity for us to do better is with some of our caps and closures. So like the gold caps are recyclable, but they're harder to recycle. If you look at like the caps on the, uh, like the cleanser or the masks, these are actually made from plant cellulose and urea. There's absolutely no petrochemical in them. Um, so it, it's, you know, from that perspective, the unit cartons are all made from 100% post-consumer recycled paper. So we don't cut down any trees to make our unit cartons. Um, the shimmer palette that just launched is actually in a paper and cardboard, uh, you know, component. So that is almost entirely recyclable minus the mirror that is glass and the, um, the little magnet that has to come out of it. But even with that being paper, it's still a very luxurious experience. And then there is the piece of how we communicate with our clientele and with our patrons, which is we're super respectful of their relationship to themselves. So from day one, we've never talked about anti-aging and we've never used the terms like perfection. We have other, <laughs> we have other rules too. So like I won't ever make a product that substitutes the product for um, a spiritual uh, accomplishment. One example being like hope in a jar is so often referenced, like it's an adorable name and I get it, but that, that is a spiritual accomplishment. That's not something I can sell you. So I try to be really cognizant of that. Um, we don't talk about anti-aging because aging is a privilege. Um, but we do want to address your specific skincare desires. So we talk a lot about desire and also too, anti-aging is a dumb term because everyone ages differently. Even though the two of you are related, you two are going to age very differently in certain respects. Like, so I want to focus on what your specific targeted results are. So yeah, those are some examples of our sustainable practices. Anti-aging is, is that's not even, you can't do that. You can't anti-age, <laughs> you know, you can't go backwards. So that's the word doesn't even make sense, but I love everything that you said. I think that's super, super important about, you know, using words that have spiritual connotations and that's just a way to spin something, you know, spin a dream kind of thing. All right. Any tips on how to make your skin glow? Oh my goodness. So many for starters, you need a gentle cleanser. You don't want to over cleanse your skin. So often we have people who come to the brand with questions about like, how do I make my, their skin's imbalanced in one way or the other, they're feeling dull and dehydrated or what have you. And literally just by changing out their cleanser to our cleanser concentrate, they immediately see a difference because it's such a gentle cleanser. You also want to make sure that you're making friends with molecules. So you want to hydrate your skin and moisturize your skin and make sure that you're doing some gentle, regular exfoliation, not overdoing it, but it needs to be on the list. And that is how you can keep your skin beautiful and glowing. And the difference between hydrating your skin and moisturizing your skin, is it that hydrating your skin seals the water in or? 
That is such a great question. Yes, they're so often used interchangeably and they're very different. So dehydrated skin lacks water. There's something with your skin called tool, which is your trans epidermal water loss. And so a lot of the times product that you're using on your skin is meant to help trap hydration in your skin. And so it's there to help keep water in your skin, basically. Then you have moisture, which is going to combat dryness and dryness is going to look like that, you know, flaky, ashy skin where there might be some rough patches on the surface. That's dryness. Oftentimes you see dryness and dehydration coupled together, but if you have dehydrated skin and you're just pouring oil on it, that's not going to fix your dehydration situation. If you have dry skin, if you're just, you know, misting your skin with water, using a light serum, hydrating serum, that alone is not going to fix your dryness issue. So it, you want to make sure that if you are dehydrated, that you're using some kind of hydration product as well as a moisturizer of some kind, because the two oftentimes work together. Hydrating products are, might penetrate the skin well, but they have a tendency to evaporate off the skin. So you want to make sure you're using a beauty oil or a beauty elixir or a moisturizer with that hydrating serum. And if your skin tends to be on the drier side, you want to make sure that you're using that hydrating serum because it'll help penetrate the skin well, but you really want to make sure you're using that beauty oil or elixir or, you know, moisturizer to help keep the skin hydrated and moisturized. So they do go hand in hand, but they are a little different. And you hydrate first and then moisturize? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Or you can do a micro emulsion. So like in Kipris, you would use like your antioxidant do or your clearing serum during the day. You do like three or four drops of that on your fingertips, so three or four drops of your beauty elixir, and you apply those together in something called a micro emulsion. And what that does is the serums will tend to, you know, sink into skin really nicely, but they have that tendency to evaporate off. So the beauty elixir will, will stop that from happening. And the beauty elixir will have a tendency on its own to want to sit on top of the skin, but in combination with the serums, you get this really beautiful, juicy complexion that just wears like dewy, happy skin. And it's not greasy at all. That sounds great. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, mix them together. So what are some beauty trends that you're seeing that we should know about? Ooh, some beauty trends that I am seeing that we should know about. I am super excited that everyone is talking about SPF. Like everyone is talking about SPF. I don't care what color you are. I don't care how well or poorly you tan. I don't care how old you are. You need to be wearing a really nice SPF that is non-nano mineral reef safe SPF because you definitely need to get sun. But if you, you know, people talk about, oh, well, my skin looks like it's aging. Well, do you wear SPF? Because that will literally prevent the appearance of aging and sun damage. Right. So hyperpigmentation and all the things that you can think of that you don't want to have happen to your skin. (laughs) So that's one of my favorite trends right now. I'm also really excited about all of the self-care happening. I think the one thing that I miss the most right now is the spa. So I'm really excited for the spa to become a thing again. (laughs) So I see a lot of people doing like at-home facials and whatnot, which is wonderful, but uh, I'm so excited to go back to the spa. (laughs) How often do you go? As often as I'm allowed to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Honestly, I try to go about once a quarter. Yeah, that sounds good. That's, that's what I was wondering, you know, that's, that's not like overwhelming, you know, that's when people think, well, I'm not going to start getting facials because if I, I can't go get one every month or every week. There's no point in getting one, but if you just tell yourself, get one four times a year, you know, the change of the seasons, maybe. Well, with facials, oh goodness. Well, with facials, I probably do go where I used to go about every four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, great skin is oftentimes made by appointment, but as far as doing like body scrubs and wraps and, you know, mm-hmm. her mom treatments, I probably go once mm-hmm. a quarter. Mm-hmm. 
though I would totally go more than like, I'd love to go once a month. I should have like a, we should all have like a Friday where we just play hooky and go to the spa. That is so true. That's what I was telling Delia too. I was saying it would be so nice if you knew once a week you were going to really take the time to do all of the things that you never get to do for yourself and your skin and your hair, you know, um, instead of every day or every other day, hurriedly, you know, washing and blow drying and doing all of that, make, make one day uh, a day that you give your body uh, the love that it deserves. I love that. Yes. I think that going to the spa, facials, massage, that should be covered by healthcare. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. And maybe it will eventually, now that we're doing this wellness and this East meets West, more doctors are picking up on those um, types of practices. Maybe the insurance companies will realize how much money it would save them in the long run. You know, a lot of hospitals do have spas because, you know, these different treatments have really beautiful therapeutic benefits right. and actually creating bliss and pleasure in the body. Again, not sexual, but it actually has shown to diminish the cortisol levels, you know, mm-hmm. which is stress related. And so you have, you know, better healing outcomes and there are lots of spas and hospitals right now. All right, Chase. So tell us what's next for you and Kipris. I'm really excited for spas to reopen. We have some really beautiful experiences that we've crafted with partners all across the U.S. One partner in particular I adore is Canyon Ranch. Another is La Costa. Another is Zion National Park. There's a beautiful hotel there called Cable Mountain Lodge. So you can get in some great hiking and go to the spa. I'm excited for the Four Seasons properties to reopen. We are partnering with a wellness center in Costa Rica. I am so excited for that to open. We have some really beautiful experiences planned for when everyone's ready to come back to the spa. Ooh, that sounds fabulous. And travel too. I know. (laughs) What's travel? What's the airport? Right, seriously. (laughs) Travel to La Costa Canyon Ranch and uh, all those good things. Cable Mountain Lodge, that just sounds fabulous. Chase, you have done such an incredible job with the brand. I'm so curious to know more about this journey over the past 10 years, but we will have to get to that another time. So where can people find you? Well, you can find us on our website, kiprisbeauty.com. We would be so honored to support you in your beauty journey. Um, You can also find us at Nordstrom and Neiman's, Credo and the Detox Market, um, and some really beautiful boutique spas and uh, specialty retailers all around, actually kind of all around the world. We're we're actually sold in 40 countries. You can find us on Net-A-Porte and spas all spas and retailers all throughout Europe. And we're starting to open some partnerships in Asia even. Wow. That's incredible. That is so exciting. All of it is so exciting. And it definitely is encouraging to us and to everyone who's listening about taking care of your skin and doing it as a ritual and and a part of self-possession. Um, I'm I love feeling that. good. Thank you. I just, yeah. I want, I want each of us to feel good. Yes, you do that because you help us to become the goddesses that we are and are meant to be. Yes, you are emanations of the goddess. You absolutely are the goddess without question. <laughs> we are all goddesses. Your website is a great tool. I think that you do not have too many products, so it is not overwhelming, which really important and then you also I think you detail in a way that is not overwhelming about all the different let me do one better for you Delia any of your listeners is welcome to request a complimentary skin consultation with one of our aestheticians so we are happy to help you craft your very own ritual so that you know exactly what to use and how to use it. Oh, that's so nice. That's so generous. Thank you so much. 
Thank you. It's, it's my absolute pleasure. The team and I are here for you. Yes. Yeah. Well, so navigate, you know, is my skin dehydrated or is it dry? Yeah. <laughs> so like, I don't know. How am I supposed to know that? So. <laughs> <laughs> well, if your skin feel, if you're feeling like your skin feels tight or dull, it's probably dehydrated. If your skin feels a little bit rough, it's probably dry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are good tips. And I think a lot of people think, well, I'm not going to spoil- exfoliate because it'll dry my skin out. But so they just keep putting on moisturizer that's not going anywhere. You know, there are a lot of things. And that's what a consultation would do. So that's really generous of you. And I think that women are going to love that. We have really, really, really enjoyed talking to you and learning all of, learning all about Kipris. And um, we Hope to hear from you again soon and learn more as more and more products come out. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Of course. Well, we recommend the products. I've tried Body Elixir, Add a Sutra, and Puff of Love. Astra. Add Astra. (laughs) I was like, Add a Sutra. I love that. That's a beautiful (laughs) name. I actually do. Sutras are very beautiful things. Like a yoga sutra. I'm like, that's a great name. Can I borrow that? My goodness. All right. Well, thank you so much. Take care. Allison, thank you so much. You're amazing. Well, so are you. Oh my goodness. Yes, you're so knowledgeable. It's incredible. So we will see you next time, everyone. And we encourage you to check out Kipris. Thank you, Delia. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode on the Style That Binds Us podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to tell a friend and subscribe. You can be a part of growing with us. Also, do you know about our weekly newsletter? You'll get access to exclusive content in our newsletter that we don't post anywhere else. Our newsletter comes out every Tuesday with the exception of the third Thursday of the month for Allison's special Celebrating Life After 40 edition. Head to the bottom of the Style That Binds Us website to subscribe.